Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. So this week I'm in Spain. I'm at a project meeting for a EU Horizon 2020 project that uh, I'm part of. Um, uh, looking out uh, the wrong side of this building, sadly, uh, there's a beautiful view over the sea on the other side. Um, but it is a very nice uh, day for the time of year um, because I'm in Spain. Um, who would have guessed? Uh, I'm here with two of my colleagues from this project. The project's called Soil Care. Um, uh, and uh, I'm going to introduce them uh, in a moment. Uh, but what we're going to be focusing on this week is uh, how we can use social media to achieve more impact. And we're going to look at this in a few different ways. We're going to look at how we can build stories, build momentum, build engagement over the long term. So in a project like this, we've got five years. Um, many of us uh, are in this for the long game with our projects, and it can be quite a challenge. To, to really build that uh, over time. Uh, we're going to have a think uh, about uh, how uh, we're using case studies in this project uh, as a way of evaluating our impact as we go, uh, but then using those evaluations then to communicate and actually drive more impact uh, through social media and, uh, and our website. Uh, and then finally, uh, my colleagues here have just uh, written and published uh, a paper on uh, the use of Twitter, uh, analyzing uh, this particular project's Twitter use uh, and engagement, uh, and some fascinating findings from that research that I want to, to dig into with them. So uh, if you are a Twitter user, some, uh, some important uh, and very easy tips that you'll be able to use to drive more engagement on that platform as well. So uh, we have uh, here Jane Mills and Jasmine Black, uh, both from University of Gloucestershire, and in particular, you're from CCRI, which is the Countryside and Community Research Institute. Uh, welcome to the podcast. And uh, I'm going to start with, uh, with Jasmine. Uh, so... Uh, in a project like this, it's a five-year project. Uh, you've got to, to build engagement um, to, to all the way through this. Uh, you, you've done a great job uh, in your former role and in this project uh, of building stories through a research project to get that engagement, get that momentum, and to build that. Tell us a bit more about how you build stories through social media. Okay, so um, what we try to do is um, track the progress of the uh, for this the soil care. It's um, and from a previous work in innovative farmers, it's all about um, experiments and field trials. So it's about trying to discover from the people who are doing the trials on the ground, the farmers and the researchers, a bit about what the progress is. Um, it's not just necessarily about the beginning, the start of the project and the end of the project with the results, but it's it's the stuff in the middle that we're really um, really trying to get to grips with and get the detail for so that we can build that story um, using social media, um, which we're finding in the UK works really well, but in other countries it's there's different systems um, of getting knowledge across. Um, social media isn't particularly something that um, is used very often, so... There's definitely a cultural differences on a big scale, and it's trying to find then how to work best with each culture. Um. So can I just dig into that a bit? Because I think a lot of us make assumptions. So um, uh, there's a fairly good um, community of academics and researchers on Twitter, for example. 
um, uh, we need to look uh, at which publics, which stakeholders we're trying to engage with that we want to benefit from our research. And in this project, that's uh, farmers are one of those groups. Uh, and it just so happens in the UK that uh, a lot of farmers are very active users of, of Twitter. Uh, but assuming that that will apply to other stakeholder groups in the UK uh, may be erroneous. Uh, and as it happens, assuming that uh, that is the case across Europe uh, is also erroneous. Uh, so tell us about what came out of the, the research on this and uh, what the contrast was um, uh, when it came to, to Europe. So this is the, the paper that, that you wrote, Jane. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, we did an analysis of the, the soil care Twitter account. At the time, there were about uh, 1,200 uh, followers on the account, and we sort of categorized the, the users of the Twitter account, the, the followers. And um, so we found that about... I think 20, around 30% were from the academic community. So I think there were sort of 6% PhD students, um, but uh, around 10% were farmers. And then we were kind of pleased with that because that is one of our sort of end users for the re results of the of soil care. So it was good that, to see that um, they were already engaging. But then we, we looked further and found actually over 75% were from the UK. So we actually had very few um, other European countries um, following the, the Twitter account. So tell me uh, what uh, that group might be doing elsewhere. Are they, are they using different platforms? Um, uh, is this something to do with the fact that uh, you're the main contributor to that account and you're British? What, what's going on with that? Uh, it, it seems that in other European countries they use Facebook a lot more. So Facebook is is uh, yeah the, the favoured form of social media. Um, so I think in the UK we tend to use Facebook as uh, more with friends and family. But it seems they seem to have a different approach in some of the other European countries. Would that be primarily through groups? Do you think, uh, or or how is that working? Do you know? Well, some, some are with groups. So we have in a previous project, we, we set up a Facebook group and that worked quite well. Um, but, but others, they just use Facebook as a sort of open, open way of communicating about their work. So it's quite interesting. It is. So on Twitter in particular, there's um, uh, evidence that uh, Twitter themselves published a number of years ago that suggested that if you included a photograph or a video alongside your tweet, you were 30-something percent more likely to get engagement. I can't remember the number now. Um, and uh, and so, um, Jasmine, you talked, uh, you've talked to me a bit about uh, some of the work you've done interviewing farmers and using art. Uh, on social media um, and, uh, and in particular uh, you've used this as a way of trying to get around um, some of the issues that a lot of researchers have with um, putting uh, results out too early on uh, on social media. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that issue because it's a big issue for a lot of us um, but uh, tell me a little bit about the, the visual side of this and, and what, what you've been doing. Okay I suppose that at the moment that sort of visual side is is um in progress, it's more of an idea, but I think one that could be potentially quite successful. Um, we are looking at uh, working with arts councils as well for, for that kind of thing. Um, but I think that's just that's very engaging for um, people who potentially um, aren't very numbers based or facts based. It's it's something more visual and tactile potentially that they can engage with um, and and can portray a story and perhaps. Yeah, I think it could be a useful tool. And also, um, 
I think it could be be even more um, impactful in creating a, a different sense of value around um, farming in particular, which is, is what we're working on with. Um, there's, you could say there's potentially a, a lack of um, value of food at the moment and um, in the prices people pay and um, you know the amount that's consumed and, and what's consumed so giving um, farming more value through art I think is potentially quite a good way um, to do that. So I may feel uncomfortable about um, putting out uh, numbers, um, actual data uh, findings um, at this point in my research, uh, but uh, but there are some uh, some important things that we can say based on the existing knowledge, uh, and uh, and instead of um, specifying that with uh, with numbers uh, or facts, uh, we're specifying that and detailing that and engaging people through through the visual side side of things, whether that's infographics, whether that's fine art, whether that's some, some other form of illustration. Um, so tell us a bit more about the, 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 how you've tried to get around the problem uh, of researchers who feel very nervous about putting things out on social media or on websites before they've gone through the peer review system. Um, I, I have a lot of sympathy uh, because uh, I think... Um, yeah, you, you can get into trouble for this, uh, whether it's that uh, journals won't accept uh, your publications because it's already been published on your website, uh, or whether it's the fact that it turns out that you were wrong um, and you discover that through the peer review system and now it's out there. And uh, and this is about the, the rigour uh, and the responsibility that we have as researchers to put out stuff which, which we can trust. So the peer review process is there for a reason, and yet... Very often, there are situations in policy, in practice, where we have knowledge, we have data, we can make a contribution, and if we wait till it comes out in the peer-reviewed literature, we've missed that window of opportunity. Uh, and so, so tell us how you've been trying to get around some of these issues with the, with the soil care team um, uh, over this quite long project where, yeah, we don't have a lot to say in the early years. All right, I think one of the things that we... we it's quite powerful, it's the use of videos and filming and, and, and then being able to tell a story. So not necessarily having the numbers, but, but showing the story. So if you're out in the field with a farmer and the experiment hasn't worked, then actually it's really valuable to show that within the film. And, um, and I think it's important, certainly in the farming situation, because that, that brings home the reality of farming, actually um, farmers are experimenting and adapting to the situation so if you can show that that story through the life of a project rather than the the end result which is usually a good result and that's what gets published then that can be very powerful yeah whether it's your findings that are you know, not quite going according to plan whether it's uh, the field work um uh, so contributing to the uh, field work fail hashtag on twitter for example uh, it's always fun um uh, th there's that sense of empathy, I think, that, that you get with, with a group of researchers who are talking about what they're doing. We're not telling you what our results are yet, but this is what we're doing. This is what the experiments look like. Um, here, here's something that went wrong, and that sense that, yeah, we're all human in this. Um, 
I watched the the, the premiere of the a film that's just been um, commissioned for our project uh, yesterday with you guys, and um, uh, what I loved was exactly as you said that um, normally uh, there is this bias, especially in communications around research, um, and we we're trying to generate impact that we're going to tell you all the stuff that worked, um, uh, and and of course we know that that's a problem in terms of publication bias as well. Um, but I think yeah, I've never seen any studies. I'm sure it's a way bigger problem when it comes to communications around research uh, and the, the film that we watched yesterday uh, followed a farmer who did a bunch of stuff on his farm based on our research and um, uh, and then you could see the results and the, uh, in the film where he'd done the, the stuff that we thought as researchers might be a good idea it was full of thistles and he was really not that impressed <laughs> um, and, um, and I love that that actually became the point of the film that actually you know what the research process uh, is bumpy we take twists and turns and uh, actually when we're co-producing research with farmers we need to open people's eyes to the fact that this isn't always going to work and there could be costs involved um, and and yet we can still learn stuff from from this and I think it adds value actually if you accept and acknowledge the things that have gone wrong because then that just promotes more um, sort of growth and progress and um, trying again and supporting whoever you're doing that experiment with whether it's a farmer or someone else supporting them through the process and and you know acknowledging their efforts as well and and what they've lost from that is is also really helpful and it actually helps us as a project because it shows um a, a wider policy message in that 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 research projects don't always come up with a solution actually what farmers need to do is try out and adapt different um uh, practices that come out of these projects so with this farmer he, he will try other things and, and that's getting the message across that it's all about sort of experiential learning and, and adapting and, and thus giving them the support to enable them to do that because often I think the support is, is lacking um, and they potentially then won't try these different methods if the, if the support isn't there so it, I think that's a, a really fundamental message to policy is that they, they need that backing and support yeah, so, so, so we, we have a situation now where we're, we are building the story. We're, we're talking about the early stages. We're talking about the process. We're building relationship. Um, and actually, by, by expressing that fallibility, by uh, expressing the complexity of this, we're, we're no longer uh, doing this in, uh, in a way that, that presents the policy recommendation. We're, we're more nuanced, and I would argue more responsible in what we present as, well, here are some options. Um, and and uh, here are the downsides and the upsides based uh, based on our research. Um, uh, what, what I'm really interested in is how then, uh, as you evaluate this um, through the project, um, one of the things that, that, that I've noticed um, you doing, Jane, in this project and in other projects uh, is using case studies really powerfully. Now, we all know that case studies work uh, in terms of communicating research uh, as a story in a context with a character who can then tell that story really powerfully. Um, but what I notice about the kind of stories that, that you typically tell is that these are evidence-based stories. Um, uh, they uh, and they are about what works or doesn't work, um, as the case may be. And I would argue that effectively, what you're doing here is you're doing uh, impact evaluation as you go. Um, so through these projects, you're evaluating what works and what doesn't work. Is there an impact? 
Um, and, uh, and as a result, then people learn. And actually, now you're communicating research findings and impact, and as other farmers, in our case, uh, uh, and people watch these videos and read these case studies, then they begin to realize, hey, that's kind of a similar problem to me. Maybe I could do that. And actually, your impact evaluation, because you're publishing those evaluations as you go through those case studies, they actually drive more impact rather than waiting till we finish the work and now let's do an impact evaluation looking back. So tell us a bit about this, this the process of building case studies, how you do that and how you see that both communicates impact and drives more impact. So, yeah, so, well, within the, um, the soil care project, we have actually 16 case studies. And so something that we're very keen on is to make sure that they're representing different uh, sort of climatic and socioeconomic conditions. And then identifying people within, within the case studies who may be a kind of a, a leader in their area, as somebody who's kind of respected by other farmers in that particular area, and then use that person to carry out the field experiments and then they help in um, uh, building bringing in their networks and um, building up on on the, the knowledge that's coming out of the, the, the work that they're doing and um, we, we are very keen on them sort of communicating to the the other farmers about why they've decided to give it a go why they're trying it um, what's what's worked? What are the drawbacks? But also, you know, what are the benefits and what's coming out of it? And then the idea is over the it's a five year project. So over the the five years that those farmers keep coming back and and looking at the uh, the experiment and and discussing it uh, with this farmer and um, and that's that's how the, the kind of the knowledge is spread so between farmer and farmer because that's a very good way of of, um, of it communicating and. Um, kind of exchanging knowledge and sharing experiences. So tell me about how you select the, the people that you would interview for something like that. So um, uh, these are case studies across Europe in our case. And um, uh, very often these may be people who are not big on social media, but you're choosing people who have their own social networks who are respected. So that actually, if that person of all people are saying this is worth trying and it seems to work for me, then maybe I try that as well. So what are the kind of some of the things that you look for in terms of the, the people who might be the central characters in these case studies? Um, that, that we might be able to generalize from for, so that other people can choose those people rather than other people to interview as, as part of their work? It's usually people that are considered the, the innovators within the, the local farming community. So um, people who um, sometimes they're, they're not always necessarily considered to be uh, the, the uh, always successful because they are prepared to innovate and try out different things but um uh, but yeah it's the the, the people who um who will who will give it a go and um, and are good communicators i think that's another important part of this i think there's also um something to be said for the for the farmers that are more difficult to connect and that you you know are are less strongly innovators and, and are sort of more opposed to change it's, it's really interesting and, and I think there's a lot of sort of research and thought going into how, how do we connect with those people and what are their networks and how, where do they get information from and trying to access that um, is, is really key because they can often be 
quite distant from farmers who are innovators you know they might be sort of so almost socially isolated in a in a, a group of non-innovative farmers I suppose you, you might say or um that are just a bit more resistant and um find it more difficult to change for for a number of reasons um so how how do we um if make them feel enabled and empowered to make that change and how do we access them and, and trying to find those networks that we can do that through yeah really nice point so yeah we're focusing on the innovators those who are well connected perhaps well well respected perhaps not um but but often they are the usual suspects um and what about those hard to reach groups um so who are your hard to reach groups and um, and perhaps there's a rationale for choosing a, a character as a vehicle for your case study who uh, doesn't meet any of the things that, that, that you would traditionally go for, as Jane suggested, um, but uh, but that is is one of those marginalised people that others like them recognise are people like me. And actually, if it works for someone like them, then hey, maybe it would actually work for someone like me. So I think having diversity in, in those stories is, is really important uh, as well. Uh, one one final thing I'd like to, to maybe touch on. Um, just to, sorry to spring this one on you. Um, so uh, so Jane, uh, you're uh, in charge of impact for for this project um, and in charge of <coughs> developing an impact plan, which of course has impact goals uh, in it. Uh, this time last year, we were uh, in uh, in Legoland uh, together, and um, uh, and so we kind of figured um, we're in Legoland, so we have to do something with Lego. Uh, the the hotel had big boxes of Lego, so um, uh, we ran this this session, and really weren't sure if this was going to work, but we got people to try and build Lego models of the change they would like to see in their country, um, and then to write about that. Um, and um, and for me, the, the the process of building the the models was a really fun, but b people um, came up with things that that I think were were different to what they would have come up with if we just asked them what change do you want to see, what what benefit do you want. They had to collaborate to build these these group models uh, with Lego. Um, and uh, now a year on, you've incorporated some of that into our, our impact plan. And I just wonder if you could reflect on, on, on that as a process. Would you do that again? Would you recommend others to, to try and uh, be a bit more uh, innovative in how they come up with impact goals? Uh, was, was it worth it? Yeah, I, I think, like you say, it was, it was great fun. And it, um, it allowed a group of mainly soil scientists to, to get a bit creative and uh, to think out of the box a little bit, I think, as well. We did quite rapidly run out of green and brown brick, bricks, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we were missing the Lego farmer as well. That would have been uh, useful. But, um, yeah, no, it, it, worked, it worked very well. Um, alongside it was the, the statements. So that was obviously useful to have that written. But, but I think they, they actually all started off with the model and then, then wrote the statement af afterwards. So, um, no, it, and it was useful. And, and, and two, two of the uh, impact goals, now are very much based on those those Lego statements, so it worked well. Yeah, fantastic. So thank you very much. Um, it's been a pleasure discussing this with you. I think for, for me, the, the take-home messages for, from this are that it doesn't really matter where you are in the research process. You can be early on uh, the first year, first few months uh, of your project. There are still stories you can begin to, to tell. Uh, about the process that begin to open that channel of empathy, build uh, engagement, relationship with your audience. 
Uh, and and I think there are, there are often more things that you can say uh, than you might think. Uh, just going beyond communicating your findings, your data, those facts, to thinking visually, thinking in terms of videos, thinking in terms of case studies. Uh, and the, those case studies then not only build your story, ultimately then creating that suspense that is fulfilled when you do finish the project and you have got some findings, hopefully, uh, but that, that actually enable you to evaluate your impact as you go and uh, in so doing start to generate more impact as well. Not just for the usual suspects, but potentially for some quite hard to reach groups uh, if they engage with, uh, with your material. Uh, fascinating insights into social media. Uh, there was one thing actually that I was going to uh, ask you about, um, I forgot, um, which was the finding that in your paper that uh, there, there were these, um, these really important um, groups of stakeholders, farmers in particular, uh, massively engaged on Twitter, um, generating impact for each other, helping each other, but the researchers uh, were not engaging with those farmers. So, yeah, you've got a project account and we're putting material out there, but uh, actually there are these different cliques and, uh, and, a, and a big opportunity, I think, here for, for researchers to think differently. Just because you're on Twitter, uh, just because you've got a project account and you're putting those messages out doesn't necessarily mean you are actually getting through to the groups you want to. So what, what, what advice, why don't you both give me one, one final bit of advice? So at least one bit of advice on, on cracking into those, those networks and, uh, and really making a difference rather than just talking to other researchers on, on Twitter. Um, but maybe something else as well. So, so Jane, one, one take home message from you. Um, so if, if you're working on Twitter, it's to find the, the key hashtag that the, the group that you're interested in are using and then, then follow that that hashtag and then join the the network and that will that will work very well i think that's it that's how you crack crack that network amazing yeah very simple brilliant and um jasmine one one final kind of take home message from you the stuff you've learned over a career of doing this in various different projects um t tell me what what would what would you be so I think one thing would be um, to get um, quotes from people because they can be very inspirational and uh, motivational and, and really a, a, a strong insight into the progress and, and how um, a story is developing. Um, and another thing would be to um, find the, the key influencers um, and um, people that make decisions alongside your audience and um, try to understand a bit about that network um, and how that works. Fantastic. Jasmine, Jane, thank you very much.